0: What's up Ken folk, welcome to the number one ranked show. I am your host, RJ Young. Today, we have a very special interview with you. The executive vice president, football operations of the United States Football League, Daryl Moose Johnston is going to join us. We're gonna talk about the eight coaches in the USFL, what it was like to put together the draft pool from which 280 players were selected last Tuesday and Wednesday, and what you can expect from the USFL during its 10-week regular season that kicks off April 16th on Fox and NBC and goes all the way through the 4th of July weekend. Let's go talk to Moose. I'm joined by Executive Vice President of Football Operations for the United States Football League, Mr. Daryl Moose Johnston. Mr. Johnston, how you doing?
1: I'm doing awesome, RJ. How you doing?
0: I'm doing amazing like this is a great day for me i told you before we started taping huge dallas cowboys fan and it's a thrill for me but i want to talk about what is an even more just awesome thrill for me is the usfl draft was just held you had a big role in that you helped put together this draft pool can you give us just a little insight into what it was like for you to just try to build quite literally a league that folks could draft eight teams from that are going to have 38 active players and seven players on the practice squad as they play 10 weeks of football all the way through to the July 4th weekend.
1: Yeah, that was uh, that was a big challenge. You know, that first draft was going to be 280 guys drafted. And, and obviously, the most important thing for us is going to be the product on the field that the fans get to watch. So there was a lot of pressure on us to make sure we were getting the right people. The pandemic over the last two years has really kind of muddied the waters a little bit. So there's been a lot of guys that have gotten lost during this transition with extra time at college, uh, bypassing drafts, skipping seasons. So there's, there's some information and data that was a little bit challenging for us to kind of track down and really kind of connect. Um, We use the networks of of all the people that are a part of the USFL family. You know, we're, we're blessed to have eight really, really good scouts with us that then became team directors, Uh, NFL experience, college experience, uh, know the college game, know the NFL game, they shared information, they worked together as a team. And and that's been, for me, the most gratifying thing so far during this journey is to watch everybody work uh, in unison as one team. So we hadn't gotten to the part yet where we were competing against each other as franchises. We saw a little bit of that once the draft started uh, last week. But up until that point, you know, the guys were great at sharing information and making sure that we were able to get the best players available at every position into that draft pool in a short amount of time.
0: I was really ecstatic to see the quality of quarterbacks, in particular, the guys that people know about, right? Uh, Shea Patterson coming out of Michigan, Jordan Tamu coming out of Ole Miss, but also guys that I don't think a lot of folks are familiar with. Uh, Quarterbacks like Brian Scott, for instance, Uh, Ben Holmes is another one how did you go about evaluating quarterbacks and selecting those guys that would be among those eight that were chosen in the first round?
1: It was really just, you know, what you're doing with every other position, you know, who are the best guys there? You know, who are some of the contacts that you have? Um, I I think the coaches were really helpful at at that point, knowing the offensive system that they were going to put in place and what quarterbacks would fit those systems the best. And and I think you saw that with Brian Scott. Uh, I think you see that with Ben Holmes. Um, you know, when we talked to Mike Riley, you know, Ben Holmes was high on his list from the very, very beginning, um, you know, over 5,000 yards, at Harleton state. Uh, when you talk to Bart Andres, you know, Brian Scott was very, very high on his, his list. Um, when you talk to Brian Scott, you know, what I like about him is he's got a little bit of that chip on his shoulder, but it's a good chip. You know, sometimes people wear that and it has a negative, uh, component to it. Brian was, he, he wears his chip with a very, very positive component to that. So, Um, You know, I've always uh, been a guy that was wired to prove people wrong. And and, and several years ago, I had a guy that just absolutely shifted my whole thought process in that situation as to proving people who believed in you right, as opposed to proving people who doubted you wrong. And and it's a real powerful shift. And Brian Scott has that, you know, he kind of comes from that background of, of proving those who believed him right. Uh, as opposed to, you know, proving those who doubted him wrong. Um, I'm excited to see both of those guys. And, and you mentioned the other guy, Shea Patterson. It was it was really kind of one of those things that sometimes it's better to be lucky than good. Um, you know, I, I think that Jeff Fisher and Steve Kayser had a guy picked out that they wanted to have in Michigan uh, that was going to be one of their top people and, and things just didn't work out there in that situation. And, and Shea Patterson was exiting the CFL right at that exact same time for For us to be able to start our first draft in the USFL with Shea Patterson from the University of Michigan, going to the Michigan Panthers was just one of those those things that you couldn't script any better. And and it got our evening off to a great start that night when we introduced the quarterbacks.
0: I'm getting ready to tell folks a list of the 10 exciting players for me and the Panthers' have two of them. right? One of them is Shea Patterson. And then right there at the very end of the first day of the draft, (laughs) Paxton Lynch sneaks in there to the Michigan Panthers. I said, wait a second, the same one? And they said, yeah, the same one. Another guy that was exiting the CFL, not unlike Shea Patterson. uh, How did that come together and how did it come together so quickly?
1: A lot of great work by the people within our team. Um, you know, we do have some ties back into the CFL. So we have a, a lot of guys that are monitoring what's happening there. That, that was really our competition for the players. Um, if, if we were a little bit slow in making decisions or, or, or getting, you know, people to buy into what our vision was, there was a chance that they could leave for the CFL. And, and that was something that was going back and forth a little bit through that whole process. Um, you know, we lost some players to the CFL. The CFL lost some players to the USFL. Um, you know, I, I think it was, it was a pretty fair balance at the time, but as you pointed out for us to be able to get two high profile quarterbacks like that, and then to have Michigan book in the draft with Shea Patterson starting the night and Paxton Lynch ending the night, uh, again, I mean, can you script that any better? So, um, you know, it's something that I'm sure that we'll continue to, to, to butt heads with a little bit as we move forward. Uh, you know, we're, we're both competing for, for players. Um, and you know, it's our, our message to them is if you come to the USFL and play, you're going to play 10 regular season games, hopefully get into the playoffs and then go to the championship game. That'll be July 2nd. That gives you plenty of time to rest, recover, and then elevate your status as, as as an NFL player and get into a camp. If you go to the CFL, you forfeit that whole cycle again. You're not getting into the NFL until at some point in 2023. So we think we have a lot more to offer uh, than the CFL does uh, in in the hopes of getting back and chasing that NFL dream.
0: It is an important distinction, right? One in which, the USFL season wraps up that 4th of July weekend, right? as training camp is getting ready to start in the NFL. And, and the CFL season wraps up in October. So I, I'm glad that that has played into strategy. And it's really interesting to me to hear that coming from you. But also, I got to hit on this. You seem to have a real passion for spring football, right? Having put a part of, I believe this is your third league or is it your fourth yeah. league as uh, a third league, third yeah. league as an administrator in spring football leagues. Why do you like this side, literally, of football?
1: Well, I think it all starts from, from what every ex NFL player wants to, to find out is, is everything that I've experienced during my career as a football player, going all the way back to high school. You're taking little bits and pieces from all those people who influenced you, or who taught you lessons you know, on your journey through the game of football, um, You know, college level, professional level, Uh, You hear all the coaches sayings, uh, you watch film, as you get ready for your opponents, you start to see things a little bit differently, you know, as a player, as you grow and mature. Um, For me, it was if I got a front office opportunity, would all those things that I've learned and experienced through the years help me assemble a championship roster? Uh, I've been blessed to have been on a, a, a championship team at the high school level, an undefeated team at the college level. Uh, and three Super Bowl championship teams uh, in the NFL. I, I know what it looks like as a group. I know how to get it to that point, but can I find the individual elements to bring together as a team and how do I balance the talent and the culture that I want to provide and create uh, You know, in that setting? So that was the intrigue to kind of come into it at first, but it really shifts immediately once you get around these guys that, that play in the spring league. And I've already heard it from our head coaches you know, how passionate they are about the game, why they're there, what they're still doing. Are they still chasing that dream of the NFL? Are they just doing it because of the love of the game? And this is really my only opportunity at this stage of my career to be able to continue to play football. Um, Those are some of the great things that happen. And we've already had some of our coaches just after the draft with conversations that they've had with their players really kind of hit them in a different way. Something that they've missed, you know, over the years as coaches, Uh, And I said, wait till the season ends and you watch some of these guys go on and have that opportunity that their time with you gave them the opportunity to continue to pursue that NFL dream. And we've had that happen with multiple players, you know, whether it was the Alliance of American Football or the XFL in both of those two spring leagues, we've sent players back into the NFL guys that were stuck in that, that practice squad mentality, we've gotten them back onto the active roster. So that's, that's one of the things that has really brought me a lot of joy uh, and sense of accomplishment is really kind of having the opportunity to, to send a young man's life on a completely different trajectory than, than what he, what he had before we met.
0: It was one of the privileges of, of the job that I do is, is telling stories and getting to see how those stories unfold. And I, was floored just with the gratitude that many of the players had for being in this position, exactly. especially not knowing a whole bunch about what they were going to do once they got to protective stadium on Tuesday. And then to see how it all unfolded for them and genuinely surprised and genuinely happy and getting to talk with them about what they were doing before. Like for instance, uh, Jordan Tamu, right? He's flying back from Hawaii to be here for the draft. But just before then he had been working as a personal trainer in Nashville, and he's excited to be able to play professional football once again. But I wonder, do you have that same feeling when you talk to coaches, in particular, like I'm going to ask you about each one of these eight coaches that are outstanding in their own ways, but let's start with Jeff Fisher, a guy that had not been coaching at all, who decided, no, this is where I want to be. This is what I want to do. What did you glean from him that made the USFL particularly attractive to a man with his track record?
1: Right. Uh, just what an honor for us to have somebody like Jeff Fisher that believes in our vision and what we're trying to do. Um, he's going to be such a tremendous asset for us, you know, so much beyond what he's going to bring as a head coach. Uh, his, his time on the competition committee in the NFL, what, what he's done in front office work with his GMs as a head coach, he, he knows the day to day routine. He's somebody that I lean on quite a bit because I've always seen it from a, a player's perspective. I'm, I'm, I'm starting to dip my toe in the water. Of seeing it from a front office perspective. But what about the head coach, which Jeff has done for a number of years in the NFL at the highest level? He knows what the league needs to look like, what the day to day has to be about. And it's always going to be player centric. So, you know, Jeff is going to be invaluable to us moving forward and building this because he's got he's got perspective and input on, on so many different levels. It's going to be critical to us building this the right way. Um, so we couldn't be happier. And and that's that's above and beyond what Jeff brings as as a head coach and evaluator, uh, a creator of culture to have success and, and to try to win championships. So he also adds a ton of credibility to us. Right. He's got that reputation where when people see Jeff Fisher involved in it, it's like, wow, you know, that's that's legit. You know, that's that's a good coach. I, I love all eight of our coaches. I love how all eight of them work together. Uh, but to be able to have Jeff Fisher be a part of our staff, that was a that was a huge accomplishment for us.
0: I was really genuinely uh, just flabbergasted that he had not been up on what the reception had really been like when he was named as the Michigan Panthers head coach. And I was in a really cool position where I was like, hey, what do you think about the fighting Jeff Fishers? He said, the what? And I said, the <laughs> the fighting Jeff Fishers. That's that's trending on Twitter. And he goes, show it to me. <laughs> so I pull it up the phone and I'm showing it to him. And he's genuinely awestruck. He's like, I, you know, yeah. I haven't been on Twitter for obvious reasons, but I'm also evaluating some five to 800 players trying to put together a team, but it's really exciting to see how people have really been receptive to the USFL. And again, I think we're talking about your coaches and how people already have some sort of knowledge of who they are. But when you get into their backgrounds, you have more NFL experience guys like Mike Riley, who yeah. was a head coach at the San Diego chargers, but a guy that, I mean, I'm a young buck, right? So I get to know him as a head coach in Nebraska at Oregon state, but the deeper I go, that man has been coaching football for a very long time. And it's quietly been one of the better quarterbacks coaches in the sport. I wonder what were the conversations like when you were trying to recruit Mike Riley to be a coach in this league?
1: Oh, it was easy for me. I spent time with Mike Riley in San Antonio with the Alliance. Mike was my head coach when I was a general manager. Uh, I'll never forget when, when it was announced that I was going to be the the GM for San Antonio and, and that Mike Riley was the head coach you people that I have the ultimate respect for in the, in the NFL game called me and said, You couldn't have gotten a better guy to work with your first go around. Andy Reid, Jason Garrett, Norv Turner. I mean, my phone is just, you know, ringing with messages going, Congratulations. What a great opportunity for you to work with a guy like Mike Riley. And, uh, yeah, they, they couldn't have been more correct. He was, he was awesome. Um, just very, very even keeled, but competitive. Um, you know, just a real great balance uh, on how he approaches the day to day. He makes it fun, he makes it enjoyable. Um, you talk about his his savvy and his knowledge at the quarterback position uh, when he was out uh, you know, working with USC. There happened to be a guy in Southern California named Tom Brady who was trying to get USC to recruit. And they didn't see the same thing that, that Mike Riley saw. So he snuck off to Michigan. Um, so it, it's somebody who can see the potential in players. And, and I think that that's why I'm really excited to see what Ben Holmes does this year, because Mike Riley was emphatic about getting him involved. And you go back to what he did at, at the University of Nebraska, what he did at Oregon State. This is somebody that comes from a professional background who probably has a lot of the North Turner system that I played in back in the 90s uh, when he was down in San Antonio and we were practicing in Austin. He would come up and watch our practices. So he's got that pro style of passing game. But he also you know, has woven that in with the collegiate game of, of the meshes uh, underneath um that that's going to be the exciting thing for me to watch is is what kind of offense he puts together for Ben Holmes to function in because uh Ben is definitely somebody that Mike is very very excited to have and and I'm excited to see what they do together as head coach and quarterback
0: and that roster is really inspiring to me uh, also backing up Ben Holmes 12th round pick DeAndre Johnson who as many folks would know myself, have seen on Last Chance you, and I'm excited to see what he can do with the tutelage of a guy like Mike Riley and what he and Ben Holmes figure out about each other. Another guy they drafted for the New Jersey Generals, Mike Weber, a former Ohio State tailback, who's really great. Like, that's that's a team that I'm circling, and many other folks should circle as they're going to open the season against the Birmingham Stallions on Fox and NBC on April 16th. But another guy that I got to know, and I'm excited for people to get to know, Is Pittsburgh Maulers head coach, Kirby Wilson, who divulged to me that his first professional football coach was Mike Riley, right, (laughs) when they were with the Winnipeg Bombers. And I'm like, yo, and he's like, hey, look, I even got traded at 21, and Mike was telling me, hey, it's going to be good for you, it's going to be okay, and sent me on my way, and I got my itch of coaching in large part because of Mike Riley, and I got to see them have some exchanges. They were going at each other about players in the draft that both of them wanted and stealing from each other. It was really great camaraderie, but to dig into Coach Wilson, and I spent a good amount of time with him on Wednesday, you get to know he's one of the better running backs coaches, perhaps of all time. Two Super Bowl rings. He's putting together a roster that is really fresh. I love that he is in on his coordinators what did you do to get a guy like Kirby Wilson to accept this as his first head coaching opportunity?
1: Oh, we didn't have to do a lot. Cause as you <laughs> pointed out, this is his first head coaching opportunity. You know, he, he was chomping at the bit. He was one of those guys that was reaching out to us. And um, I've met a number of guys um, over the last, you know, five to eight years in the NFL. And you you wonder why they haven't had that opportunity yet. And, and Kirby's one of those guys, his passion for the game um, is, is blatantly obvious every time you talk to him. Um, you know, he asked me, you know, hey, and this is years ago, hey, can, can I have some guys call you from time to time, you know, running backs and things like that, you know, when I'm working with him, just to give him some advice, you know, away from the game, about the game, how to be a pro, how to handle your day-to-day. You know, he got me in touch with Alex Ingold, you know, kind of talking to him about the fullback position. Um, Kirby just, he goes above and beyond. And I've already seen that, you know, with him just in the short amount of time that he's had this head coaching opportunity. Um, you know, we went out and and we've got the teams practicing in different places and and, and Mike and Kirby are going to be out at Miles College. And Kirby was so excited because, you know, driving into Miles College, it it reminded him of the neighborhoods that he grew up in. Um, you know, I, I, I think that, that he's going to be good, not only for the Pittsburgh Maulers and the USFL, but I think he's going to be really, really good. In the community of Birmingham, Alabama, because he's going to bring some real world wisdom to to some of these opportunities for these guys. And he's going to be able to share things. Um, So we're excited about what Kirby's going to do. I, I think he I think he had a heck of a night on draft night. You know, he was one of those guys that I think a lot of people were like everybody's looking at, you know, Skip Holtz and Larry Fedora. Um, you know, Kirby Wilson, you know, how are they going to do compared to a, a Jeff Fisher or Todd Haley a Mike Riley, you know, guys that have been there, done that. I, I thought Kirby, I thought Kirby Wilson and Chris Watts, uh, you know, the combo there uh, in Pittsburgh ha- had a heck of a night at the draft. And I'm really excited to see what they do.
0: They were very enthusiastic about getting their guy involved too. Kyle Laletta, One of the cool phenomenons happenings at this event was the quarterbacks getting to know their coaches for the first time. And the coaches going, hey, sit down, tell me what you see here. Give me your insight and let's make some picks here. And then for coach Wilson to get the boys and girls club involved, A.G. Gaston was on hand, handing them pick cards to run up to the president at the USFL, Brian Woods, to make those picks. That was really cool to see. I'm excited. Uh, I'm a Tulsa guy, right? So he coached Josh Jacobs at the Las Vegas Raiders. And we were able to bond over that because Josh grew up down the street and you keep going down the list of guys that he's worked with. And I don't know how his roster is not excited to speak with him. As a matter of fact, I get Bailey Gaither on the phone after he's getting drafted. And I said, you know, he's got two Super Bowl rings. He said, he does? Okay, (laughs) I better button up. I'm I'm, going to be told what I need to be doing and I'm going to listen. I said, that's great. That's awesome. Um, Coach, it's Coach Fedora that I am really interested in because I'm an OU guy, right? He coached at Oklahoma State. I first got to know him at Florida, but this, along with Kevin Wilson, uh, Kevin, Wilson Kevin Sumlin and Skip Holtz, going to be his first opportunity to coach professionally. And I asked him straight up, what is it like for you to not have to recruit anybody, to just evaluate him? He says, well, evaluation is evaluation. But this whole being able to select a player, I think I kind of like that. I wonder, what was your feedback from them, uh, the college coaches in particular, like Larry Fedora, and how this process went?
1: I think all three of them went about it in a little bit of a different way. And I think that was probably based on, on who their, their team director, the personnel guy was that was helping them out through the process. Um, you know, Skip Holtz. I mean, I, I, you know, it was so funny that Skip, you know, Skip was one of the guys he was always asking questions, always trying to get information, you know, very, you know, very uh, prepared in what he was doing uh, because this was his first time. He, he just wanted to feel comfortable going into that environment. And one of the things that we really threw at our coaches is, is there was a lot of players that came into that pool um, you know, kind of late in the process. And, and they did a great job of, of delegating responsibility, uh, letting the positional coaches bring, bring the names to them and then kind of getting them ranked in an order. And I remember Skip one time telling us, he goes, you know, that's a lot of guys and we're really stressing our staff to get this done. And then it, it, it's so funny because the guy that they take in the offensive tackle group with their first pick, was a guy that I know for a fact because I I was one of the people working on getting him with his contract sorted out and getting him into the draft pool Monday night, Monday night. So here's Skip saying, how are we supposed to do this? And I'm like, well, you figured it out somehow because you had one of the last guys in the pool <laughs> drafted first overall in the tackle position. So uh, they, they found a way to do it. Uh, Larry Fedora has been, he's been one of my favorite guys. Um, he's one of those guys that you, you, you get around and he's, he's, He's he's fun to talk with, uh, very enjoyable, very uh, very courteous. Um, but boy, is he driven! Um, I mean, you, you can see that kind of fire inside of him, uh, and it pops up every once in a while. And he's one of the people that 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 I've learned is really really good at, at making decisions in the moment and making the right decision in the moment. Um, that, that's one of the things that that I've I've saw from him. And he's one of the guys that I go to in those situations and just kind of pick his brain a little bit. Hey, Larry, here's what's going on. You know, just want to get your thoughts on what you think would be, you know, kind of the right thing to do in this situation, because I've been so impressed by him being able, you know, to make those decisions, you know, on the fly. And then when you look back on it, it was absolutely the right thing to do, the right way to go down that path. So I'm really excited for him. I think he's one of the guys that was really outspoken about, and this is from all of our coaches. They, They had conversations with everybody they drafted. They got on the phone with everybody they drafted that night. And they continued that the next day when we did 23 rounds, we shortened the time we were taking five minute breaks between the rounds. They were getting right on the telephone and getting on and, and making sure they had a contact with those guys. That was one of the things that they really enjoyed. Um, and, and one of the things that you hinted to were a guy like Larry Fedora, you know, you know, college game, the heck with that. This is awesome. You know, picking my guys, talking to them on the phone, building that connection uh, I, I'm really excited to see, you know, what, what Larry's going to do down in New Orleans. I thought they had an outstanding night, too. I, I, I mean, c- to me, Kirby Kirby Wilson in Pittsburgh and Larry Fedora uh, in New Orleans, two guys that I think there was probably some questions about how they were going to perform in that environment. I thought they did an outstanding job. So, you know, kudos to Chris Watts and Matt Bookmeyer, who were side by side with him. Kevin Sumlin is working with a guy that, that I've worked uh, in the Alliance and in the XFL with Bob Morris, uh, longtime scout, longtime coach. So he sees football from both sides of that coin and Bob is, is, is great. He's going to be fantastic for Kevin. Kevin's another one, you know, Kevin was, Kevin could be an NFL coach any day he wants to be an NFL coach. I mean, he's got that persona to him, in my opinion. Uh, he's got that swagger to him. Um, unflappable, you know, we were, we were in certain situations where, you know, things were coming down to the wire and we're trying to make decisions. And, and and Kevin is just always the same. You know, he's never too high. He's never too low. Um, had, a, had a great conversation with him today. He goes, I told you I wasn't going to bother you until March 1st. He goes, guess what today is? I said, it's March 1st. He goes, yeah, I got some questions. So he's just that type of guy. Um, you know, he is what you see. Uh, I, I'm excited to see what he does. Um, I, I'm just excited for this whole eight because it's we're going to ask a lot of them. We're gonna ask them to adjust on the fly. We're gonna ask them to, to bear with us on a lot of the, a lot of different items. And to this day, they have done exactly that. They get that this is a, a startup. Um, everybody's in it for each other. And uh, th- these guys have been absolutely phenomenal teammates for us to take this first step with. Now we've gotta do one thing because oh. this, this may have been information from Mike Pereira is Mike Pereira tries to downplay the impact of Todd Haley in the USFL. We haven't talked about Todd Haley yet. Um, and it, 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 we did the head coaches seminar and I was sitting across from, from Mike Pereira and he looked at me and he goes, I hear you're responsible for getting Todd Haley into the league. And I'm like, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and they have, they have butted heads <laughs> throughout their, their careers. And he goes, you and I are going to have a talk. So I, I had to tell Todd, I said, all right, I'm already, I'm, I've already been warned by Mike Pereira that uh, you have to behave on the sideline. But I, he's another guy that I'm really excited to see have an opportunity because you know things in the NFL you know didn't finish the way that that, that Todd would have wanted him to finish, um, you know he's been away from the game for a little while, um, but you know just hearing how his players think about him, we were we were visiting during the draft that time, and he's getting ready for it, and it was Alejandro Villanueva, and I can't remember, I think it was David DeCastro. We're we're mm-hmm. down in Florida driving home and kind of came you know like an hour off their track to come see Todd at his house down in South Florida on the Gulf Coast and he had an evening with him he goes you know I thought they were going to come in for a couple of hours and then get on their way he goes they, they stayed past midnight we just told stories and you know it's just it was so good to reconnect with them um you know that to me means the world when when players want to spend time with their coaches away from the game of football it was one of the things that our championship teams had in dallas you know on thursday night we would go out to dinner we would have 10 to 12 players six to eight coaches we'd go to dinner then we'd go bowling it down carter lanes you know we actually enjoyed being around each other outside of the facilities we were friends um you know the coaches were mentors to us um we talk about football as being a second family and we really had that in dallas and, and having Todd tell me that story, I could really, I could really see the sense that, that that's something that Todd likes to do. He likes to build that culture, that sense of second family. And for these two guys, you know, just being, you know, in the area and then driving out, you know, spending some extra time to come out and visit with him and then staying as long as they did. You know, that, that, that was an affirmation to him, confirmation to him that, you know, I'm in this not just to help these guys, but to build relationships. So I'm excited to see what, what Todd does there. Uh, with everything that he's doing, um, you know, is, is the coach for the Tampa Bay bandits. Um, you know, he, he's another guy, um, you know, kind of under the radar a little bit, not a lot of splash, but a lot of consistency, uh, you know, last Tuesday and Wednesday building that roster.
0: You, you draft Jordan Tamu, you draft Brady white, who, by the way, broke a bunch of the records that Paxton Lynch set at Memphis. You're going to get some, uh, some attention for that, but more than anything else, I was getting to talk with Jordan Tamu about this and they got to know each other for the first time, but I also got to see the ball coach, come out and coach Haley immediately we're sitting over to the side coach Haley walks by sees us talking he says mine I said go right ahead coach that's your quarterback he says tell me three things about you not football related three best attributes go and he is absolutely staring him down wanting to know the answer to these questions and you'll see them at foxsports.com but <laughs> your story about coach Holtz was particularly uh cool to me because I I was privileged to be at day two right and one of the first things that happens is hey we had a wide receiver added to the draft pool here late here's who he is here's where he went to school you know here it is let us know if you want him and he gets drafted the same day as well I thought that was awesome but also to the point about coach Sumlin I made a point to ask him in the middle of day one you know how this is going does, does the time limit actually mess with you or, or how do you function with that he says eh, no I mean look, it's two minutes today. It's going to be 90 seconds tomorrow. It's going to be 60 seconds by the end. So it's getting faster. You either get with it and get it on, or, you know, you let it beat you up and to have that sort of level-headedness and demeanor about what you're doing is why he's a head coach. And quite frankly, again, Oklahoma guy, I remember him at OU. And I remember the battle that he had with coach Fedora when they were um, uh, conference USA coaches, Houston, and Southern Miss. I'm excited about that. You got some built-in rivalries here that I want to discuss, but One of those, I hope, is going to be the Philadelphia Stars versus the Michigan Panthers. Uh, We haven't spoken a bit about Coach Andrus, but my first thought was, yo, quarterback's coach for Steve McNair. Maybe he could teach quarterbacks one or two things about what to do. And talking to Brian Scott, he's like exactly that dude, right? We're going to throw the ball 30, 40 times a game. He's going to trust me. And I wonder, what's it like for you to know that you have a guy like Bart Andrews, that the world is getting ready to really get to understand and know, especially after the success he's had professionally and lately of the Spring League.
1: Yeah, exactly, right. He's He's been in, involved in so many of the different leagues, uh, you know, from the NFL to the CFL, to NFL Europe, to the Spring League. Uh, you know, he's he's done it at every level. And again, if if, if there's one word that you'll continue to hear me say, it's, it's, it's passion, you know, passion for the game. And, and Bart is another one of those guys that has passion for the game. Um, you know, kind of gets in our blood and, and it's hard to get it out. Um, it, it, it's different motivations, uh, you know, for Bart. You know, Bart's a guy that loves to develop guys and give them the opportunity. Um, you know, I'm excited to see, you know, what Philadelphia does, uh, you know, b- behind his leadership. Um, you know, he was with us in the XFL with, with Team 9. You know, so we had a we had kind of a component built in there in case anybody got hurt. We didn't want to have to go to the street and bring somebody in and maybe they weren't working out. They weren't in shape. You know, we really don't have time for that. Bart was able to fill that void for us in in, in his role with really nothing to play for but an opportunity, possibly. He was able to keep all these guys motivated and working hard. So to see him now in an opportunity in this league to kind of raise to a platform and a a visibility level uh, that that maybe he hasn't had in a while, uh, I'm excited to see what he does with that. Uh, Again, a lot of success in the spring league um, that he has had. Um, he's got his quarterback. And, and that's one of the other things. Um, I think when you look around this league, you're going to see talent, but also a familiarity with the style of play and how that fits into our offense. And, and that was really the case, you know, with Bart and with Brian. There, there's, a, there's a familiarity there. They've been there, done that before. Um, they're, they're kind of automatically ahead of the curve of everybody else because they're not starting at square one. They're starting at square seven. So uh, this is going to be a fun thing to watch, especially early in the season. How does Philadelphia come out of the gates because of the familiarity with the head coach and the quarterback?
0: Oh, and I'm I look uh, right now if I'm if I'm making bets, I I got to look at Philadelphia some kind of way because you got a former Spring League MVP, you got a former championship combo in the head coach and the quarterback, and you got a quarterback that was there for every single round of the draft. Going, we like this guy. We like this guy. I would love to play with that guy. I don't want to play against that guy. That was exciting for me to hear and see. But I got a couple questions for you, and then we'll get you out of here, Mr. Johnson. Um, the first one is, who do you think could be the best offensive player in this league?
1: That's that's a great question. Um, you know, it's always a quarterback-driven league. Um, you know, that that gives you the opportunity, but you know, the supporting cast is always you know that 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 unknown. Um, you know, let's just go to the NFL and and, and the greatest of all time. And Tom Brady, uh, the reason Tom Brady went to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers is because he looked at that roster and said, this gives me the best opportunity to continue to win Super Bowls because look at the talent that's going to be around me. That's going to be the most important thing. So we've talked a lot about these quarterbacks and uh, you know, how they're going to do Um, it it really comes down to the supporting cast. And for me, it's always the offensive line. The one thing that I was really impressed with was the, the the skill level of the offensive line. You mentioned that early in this uh, conversation, RJ. Um, You can have great skill players, but if you don't have an offensive line that can open running lanes or pass protect, it doesn't matter how good everybody else is. So that's going to be one of the key things. So for me, as as we start to dig into this, I really want to dig into the offensive lines. Um, You know, obviously, tackle is a big position, but we've seen how important guard center guard has become. Uh, and that's one of the things that I that I saw throughout the course of the draft night was was size, big schools where these guys were coming from. They're going to be well coached. They're going to understand the big moments in the games. Um, so uh, it, it's going to be hard for me to to really kind of single out one guy. Um, if I had to look at somebody, uh, one of the guys that I, I kind of looked at on film is, is Mark Thompson, uh, a running back who kind of got lost in the shuffle a little bit uh, with COVID and with a hamstring pull. Uh, When he did have some opportunities to go to a camp, he was one of the running backs that I looked at that just, okay, why is this guy not in the NFL? So you kind of go into his story and and you find out, um, you know, some of the challenges that he's had and some of them recently. uh, I I reached out to him and spoke to him directly. Um, You know, this is somebody who's learned from his mistakes, knows that he's missed an opportunity and knows that the clock is running on him. Um, I'm excited to see what Mark Thompson does with this opportunity, because I think he's one of those guys that knows There's not a lot of time left for him. And if if he's going to have that opportunity to get to the NFL level, he's got to have a breakout season in the USFL. And when you watch him on film, he is fully capable of doing that.
0: Executive Vice President Football Operations, Daryl Moose Johnson, my father's favorite fullback and one of our favorite Dallas Cowboys of all time. Thank you so much, sir, for the time.
1: Yeah, my pleasure. My pleasure. We always enjoy talking football, especially with somebody that has has that knowledge of it and that passion for the game as well.
0: Thank you, sir. So that was cool. Talking to Executive Vice President of Football Operations, Daryl Moose Johnston. My father is going to flip out. He has been flipping out ever since I told him that I was going to get to talk to our favorite fullback. I'm a 90s kid. So Emmitt Smith, Deion Sanders, Troy Aikman, Michael Irvin, those are all my guys. I'm a huge Dallas Cowboys fan. You all know that. So that was thrilling. But it's also thrilling to hear how the USFL has come together and just what kind of efforts go into it. I'm grateful for Mr. Johnson giving us all that time to really talk about those coaches who we're going to get to talk to individually. Again, I want to remind you, we're going to do what is the Fox Sports USFL coaches series, right? So we're going to get time with each one of the eight coaches from Jeff Fisher to Todd Haley and really get to know them and, and hopefully give you some things that perhaps you forgot, but some things you'll learn that are new and maybe, you know, you'll pick a team, right? I know I have. Also, shout out to Coach Stoops, who had worked with Coach Johnston in the XFL. And man, I still got my other jersey from that. All right. I wanted to talk about the 10 most exciting players from the USFL draft. This would be 2022's USFL draft, which was last week. I got to spend both days covering this event, and I got to talk with all of the quarterbacks. I got to talk with most of the coaches. I'm really excited about this draft class, this draft pool. Just to recap, there were 35 rounds, right? And there were rounds in which you could draft positions. So, for instance, an outside linebacker going in the 29th round went there because that's when you could draft an outside linebacker, not because he's a 29th round selection, right? Also, the same thing is true with quarterbacks. We had a first round of quarterbacks, and we have 12th round for quarterbacks, right? So I want to point that out as we go through this. 280 players selected for the eight teams. There will be a supplemental draft on March 10th. We will have a combine for tryouts of a sort, March 19th, 20th. Training camp will begin March 21st, and that's going to take us into the kickoff of the regular season on April 16th. Then we're going to take it into the 4th of July weekend, where we will crown the 2022 inaugural USFL champion. I'm excited about that. This is a very cool league. You know me right? I'm about football. I love watching people play football. You're not going to get to me by telling me that we need to play less football. The USFL is going to give us 10 weeks plus four weeks of postseason play for football. I don't know how you're not excited about that, all right? And we're playing in the largest college football market in America, Birmingham at Protective Stadium, which by the way is immaculate. It was gorgeous. I'm so into this, all right? And when you look at some of these players that have been selected, you're going to be into this too. All right, so let's start with the first player on this list for me. It is former Michigan quarterback Shea Patterson. Now, one of the things that I found really interesting about Shea Patterson and all of this and needs to be pointed out off the top, he's the number one overall pick, okay? That means something. I don't care who you are. To be the number one overall pick, even if you're playing pickup basketball, is something you carry with you. When they put it and write it down on a draft card, and then you get to be that dude putting on that hat at that podium, selected by Jeff Fisher to represent the Michigan Panthers, yeah, it's going to mean something, and for good reason. In 2016, he was five-star recruit. He was the number four overall player in that recruiting class. Started out his career at Ole Miss before really having a landmark transfer that set the set in motion what would become, I think, the transfer portal understanding what it means to want to transfer and play right away. But when he got to Michigan, he was pretty good, man. After starting games at Ole Miss and Michigan, all Big Ten honors twice as the starting quarterback at Michigan, averaged the most passing yards by a Michigan quarterback ever. He passed Tom Brady in his final game against Ohio State for career passing yards and then passed his head coach, Jim Harbaugh, for career passing yards in the Citrus Bowl before ending his career at Michigan. He's still under contract for baseball, by the way. Right? The Texas Rangers drafted him in 20, what is this, 2018? Yeah, where they signed him to a $25,000 signing bonus. That's in place until 2024 if he ever wants to start to play, but he's always been about football. He's done some time with the Kansas City Chiefs, really getting to experience mini-camp training camp with uh, Patrick Mahomes and others. I'm excited to see what he looks like. He's also going to be paired with another quarterback we'll talk about here in just a minute at number two, Paxton Lynch. Okay. Now, Paxton Lynch <laughs> getting into this draft, I did not expect. All right. Many of you remember that Paxton Lynch was a number one overall pick in the NFL draft in 2016 after putting together what was a really outstanding career at Memphis. He left Memphis with the school record for total offense with just over 4,000 yards. And since been broken by another quarterback, Riley Ferguson, in 2017. But in a game against Memphis, he set uh, or tied an FBS record for passing touchdowns in a half with seven against Southern Methodist. Uh, he was nine of fourteen for 222. In case you wonder, and every TD was to a different receiver. He's coming out. He's six foot seven, two forty four. Didn't work out with Denver. He had just ended his career as CFL when he got drafted with the last pick available for quarterbacks by the Michigan Panthers. I'm excited to see what that quarterback derby looks like between Shea Patterson and Paxton Lynch as Jeff Fisher tries to figure out which one of those guys starts for him day one. Okay, at the number three spot drafted by the Tampa Bay Bandits is former Florida State, Auburn, and Florida Atlantic player John Franklin III. This, again, was really just an inspired choice for me. Some of you got to know John Franklin III on the Netflix series, Last Chance U. I watched it all the way through. I've watched every season of Last Chance U for football. I could care less about the other sports because I'm a football fan. But this is a guy that really has an interesting story and I believe is the only dude playing in this league that won a BCS National Championship and a Super Bowl because you'll remember he was on that 2020 team that won the Super Bowl with Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Bucs. It's a guy that really has an opportunity to make an NFL roster should he choose to do so in the coming training camp series. He started out as a scout team guy when Jameis Winston was doing what he was doing with Florida State. Has since gone to East uh, Mississippi Community College, worked his way all the way to the USFL. I'm excited to see what he does with Jordan Tamu. As a quarterback, I, we're going to see that SEC connection once again, but talking about a guy that absolutely is great in the pocket and is going to have a speedster with 4-4 four, four flat speed and John Franklin the third running down the sideline. Number four, I mentioned him just a moment ago, Tampa Bay Bandits quarterback Jordan Tamu, who really came on to replace Shea Patterson at Ole Miss. This is really serendipitous, and the storylines are just coming out of my ears here, man, because... Shea Patterson gets injured 2017. Jordan Tamu comes in to relieve him and puts up better numbers on the whole, right, than Shea Patterson did in that season. He averaged a full yard better per pass attempt. He had a higher passer rating. He had a better TD to INT ratio, and he finished with a higher completion percentage. Patterson goes to transfer to Michigan, and Jordan Tamu becomes the starting quarterback at Ole Miss. He's exciting. He's great with his mobility. He was second in the SEC in passing behind Tua Tonga-Valoa in 2018, even as the Rebels weren't all that great in Matt Luke's last season as head coach at the University of Mississippi. But I'm interested to see what it looks like for those guys to finally get to play against each other after having been teammates not just at Ole Miss but also Kansas City because when Shea was there, so was Jordan Tamu. You also remember that Jordan Tamu played in the XFL for the St. Louis BattleHawks and was really – Outside of guys like P.J. Walker, everybody's favorite as he came on. He got to play a little bit later. This time, I think he's going to come out the box as Todd Haley's number one quarterback. We'll see because there's another guy there that he might have to contend with in Brady White who uh, broke a bunch of Paxton Lynch's records. Like I said, there's just a ton of storylines in this league, and I'm excited about it. Okay, number five. It's a guy you don't know, but you're going to get to know very well. It's Brian Scott. He is the Quarterback, number three overall pick for the Philadelphia Stars. And I haven't checked with research on this, but I need to because I believe he's the f- highest-drafted Division three quarterback of all time. Number three overall in any pro draft. He's coming out of Occidental College where he set all sorts of records and let, It was their best player for three-plus years. He's a guy who was a late bloomer, quite honestly, right? Grew a full foot in high school led his team to a conference title for the first time in 49 years in high school, ends up at Occidental because he went to one camp and was seen, right? He had opportunities to leave there, but it's a great school. He wanted to finish. He got invited to training camp, 2017, Sean McVay's first season as head coach of the Los Angeles Rams. And this is a man who had Cooper cup singing his praises. Talk about that dude over there can sling it. So, I'm interested to see what he looks like in this league, especially as he's got some real credentials, right? I mean, he won a gold medal in the International Football American Football Federation's World Cup U19 starting quarterback. He also is a Spring League MVP. This is the guy that right now, among all these other dudes, that I would bet on to have an outstanding season in the USFL. He's also going to be partnered with Bart Andrews who was his coach in the Spring League and, quite frankly, coach Steve McNair at Tennessee. Like, What else do you need there? Okay, at number six on this list, a guy that is very familiar to many, but I'm excited to see as a New Jersey general, that is Mike Weber, Ohio State running back who rushed for 1,096 yards as a spellback 2016 I wonder who was the uh, starting running back that he was playing behind then. Might be a guy by the name of Zeke Elliott. He also went in the seventh round to uh, the Cowboys, I believe, and was really outstanding at the combine. 447, 40 yard dash 2019 NFL combine. Uh, has bounced around, but ended up with the Kansas City Chiefs, where he also won a Super Bowl ring as a member of their practice squad in 2019. I think. For those of y'all that just need a comp here, and I should have been doing these comps all along, is Clyde Edwards-Alaire at tailback. As a matter of fact, I'm just going to go ahead and reference those so you have an idea of what we're looking at. Brian Scott, Aaron Rodgers, that was his nickname in college, D3 Aaron Rodgers. John Franklin a third. I think you're talking about John Ross, really, an outstanding, speedy receiver. Uh, With Paxton Lynch, I mean... Goodness me, dude. You're talking about an entirely too big quarterback with a lightning arm. Drew Bledsoe comes to mind for me. Those of y'all can reach all their way back. And Shea Patterson, I think, has the opportunity to be a Russell Wilson type of player. He's really great with his feet. He's a great leader. He's excited to be a Panther. And there's a reason why he's your franchise player if you are the Michigan Panthers. Okay, the number seven player on this list for me is a guy I think many college football aficionados know in Philip Scooby-Wright. Inside linebacker for the Birmingham Stallions. Played his college football at Arizona. His 2014 season is among the best ever by a defensive player, full stop. 2014, he was a unanimous All-American. He won the Bronco Nagurski and the Chuck Bednarik Award, which are given to the nation's best defensive player. He also won the Lombardi Award, which is given to the player that best embodies the NFL legendary head coach, Vince Lombardi. And he finished ninth in the Heisman voting because – this season was ridiculous. Check out the stat line 2014. 164 total tackles, 31 tackles for loss, 15 sacks, 5 forced fumbles. That's ridiculous, right? For me, the comp is Luke Keekley, right? He That was of the Carolina Panthers, but just a tackling machine, right? A guy that's going to put everybody on the ground he puts his hands on. 2015, he suffered a season-ending injury. He fell in the draft, and he's working his way back to, I think, the NFL, but I'm excited to see him in the, in the USFL. Sneaky pick for the best defensive player in this draft class. I'm excited to see what Scooby Wright can do. Number eight on this list, a guy, again, you probably have not heard of, but one you're going to get to know quick, fast, in a hurry, Jordan Moore. He's outside linebacker for the Philadelphia Stars. University of Texas San Antonio is where he finished his career, but just quickly. He won the indoor and outdoor hurdles in the Big 12 at Texas Christian, 60 meters, 110-meter hurdles. Transfers to LSU, does the same thing. Wins the 60 and the 110-meter hurdles in the SEC, right? And But still loves football so much that he grad transfers to play for Frank Wilson at UTSA. He's six foot three. he's 227 pounds, and he's still got his 4'4 speed. That's amazing, and that's going to be a dude playing outside linebacker playing in the second level for the Stars. Excited to see what he can do. I think the NFL comp for him is Jamal Adams. And then at number nine, a guy that Oklahoma fans will remember, Jeff Bidette, drafted by the Michigan Panthers, so he's going to catch passes from Paxton Lynch and or Shea Patterson. Ran 4 7 at his Pro Day event a few years back. Has been with three NFL teams since then. Also played in the XFL for Bob Stoops and was one of the guys that Gerald Johnson had zeroed in when he was the... Director, player, personnel there, and then at number ten, also excuse me. Before I get to number ten, Deshaun Jackson is the comp for Jeff Bidette. Then at number ten, it's Brennan Eagles, Philadelphia Stars. He, of late, of Texas, enormous wingspan, six foot four, two hundred thirty pounds, averages sixteen point eight yards per catch at Texas. Goes undrafted, is trying to get back to the NFL. I think the comp here is T Higgins. They have the same sort of speed, the same sort of wingspan. I think they have a. I think he has a tremendous opportunity here playing with a guy like Brian Scott who's going to give you opportunities to make plays down the field. So those are the 10 players that I am most excited about who were drafted in this inaugural 2022 USFL draft. This is not a one-off, by the way. Uh, We're going to talk a bunch of USFL here on the number one ranked show. I'm excited about it. It was in Birmingham last week to cover the draft because you remember I did the show from a hotel room before we could even talk about what this draft looked like, plenty of notes, lots of reporting. I'm really interested in how this story evolves, getting to know these players, getting to know these coaches. And as I told Mitch Johnson, I'm going to tell you, we're doing a coaches series. So you're going to get to hear from all eight of these coaches in the USFL individually. We're going to talk to them at length. We're going to talk about their past careers. We're going to talk about what brought them to the USFL. We're going to talk about their players. Hopefully, they'll give up some game, you know. Maybe we'll talk a little game planning. But I expect to have a really good time with this, and I hope that you have a good time with this. Let me know what you think. Leave a comment on the YouTube channel. Leave a review on the podcast. Let us know what you want to know from each one of these coaches as we begin to talk with them. And we will get that up for you in a couple of weeks. And, yeah. We'll talk about college football from time to time here on the number one ranked show. I'm excited about spring football. There are like 30 players that I have talked to individually that I really want to talk with you about. Okay, that is going to do it for this episode of the number one ranked show. I'm the host, RJ Young. Our lead producer is Catherine Donnelly. Tyler Wojak, running the show today, associate producer. JVon Duncan is our social media manager. Rachel Cohn is our lead of screening. Our director is John Marcus. I will see you next week. Doses.